And you yeah. can visit the Earl Scruggs Museum while you're there. God, I love his playing, man. But there was a, there was a time, um, Aaron remembers this, where I was teaching banjo. But lo and behold, I got into it. So like for like the next two years, I really studied banjo. And, uh, and I was into all those guys. Like, like definitely Earl Scruggs was in there. And I got into Bella Fleck. Oh, yeah. And I, I took all that stuff. In fact, you may not, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this text. You may want to write this down. There is a, an amazing right-hand technique book called 120 Right-Hand Studies. And the, uh, the composer was Mauro, M-A-U-R-O, Giuliani, uh, G-U-I-L-I-A-N-A, I, or something like that, something Giuliani. I use it to this day. Yeah, right. I gave it to Aaron. Right, right. We talked about it. So what it is, is during the classical period, Giuliani was a, um, a classical composer, I think mainly for guitar studies. And literally, it is two chords. It is a G, or I'm sorry, it's a C and a G7. That's it. And it's a 120 permutations of right hand control over those two changes, or at least that one change. So like exercise one will be forward roll, uh-huh. P-I-M-A, right? Something like that. Then exercise two would be reverse and then alternation. Well, anyway, so over the course of, let's say, a year or two, I took that tome and I studied it intensely, right? And I took all those, you know, those variations of the right hand work. And while I was teaching classical and Spanish guitar, I borrowed that stuff and I put it into the banjo techniques. And I taught that with banjo students. And I think there was a time I had like 10 or 11 banjo students and like really getting into it. Yeah, it was really cool. And I got away from it just because it was hard to practice in in terms of like um, putting a lot of hours in because it's such a loud instrument. Do you know what I mean? So like I was, I remember the time I was living in a small place and I had neighbors above me and I couldn't just put in four or five hours of banjo because they would always complain. (laughs) It was one of those things, but it was, it was great. And Scruggs, I mean, I, when I used to teach lessons in that, we would, we would talk about how Scruggs was sort of the pioneer, mm-hmm. you know, for his, his right hand control. Finger style. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you generate a lot of speed. Uh, one, one of these episodes, maybe not today, but we should get into like right hand techniques, you know, because there's a lot um, that I think are underground, you know, mm-hmm. things that students don't really know about. Like one of the, one of the techniques that, that, I, that always blows students away when I do it is the tremolo. Like when you do like the, th- the thumb technique on the top and do like the three or the two finger, you know, on the bottom, oh, like a classical, trem- tremolo, classical yeah. tremolo. Yeah. It's like, it's just watching that and hearing that, you know, makes people like, you can do that. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of really awesome techniques that yeah. are not in the consciousness of the public, you know? And then when you, and- yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Sure. That's you know, don't, don't get me started on that. I mean, that's a whole other style, but yeah. Um, those guys, uh, the flamenco players, just brilliant. Yeah, their, their right hand technique is just is just incredible. Yeah, it's more important than their left hand technique. Yeah, they're primarily yeah, right. Is. Yeah, they're primarily right hand driven. Primarily right hand driven. Um, like Paco de Lucia. Uh, I remember when I was in Spain with my wife uh, many many years ago. And I'll just tell you a story real quick because it's really kind of cool. So we went to Spain uh, about ten years ago, and for those that don't know, like Andalusia, Granada, southern Spain, is the birthplace of the guitar. That's where Segovia was teaching. And it's where everything kind of came into fruition was in that region of Southern Spain. So my wife was doing her dissertation and collecting data in Spanish language. So we went over there. I didn't know this. I didn't know the culture was that deeply rooted there. or I would have really prepped and did my homework. So we're going over there. and We're just kind of like in the streets and everybody plays guitar there. I mean, it might be a hyperbole, but there's I mean, there's a large majority of the uh, public that actually play guitar and they play in the streets, you know, and for them, it's like, um, I don't know. Almost akin to in America, if everybody played Stairway to Heaven, you know, we're just kind of over here and everybody's got a guitar in their hand and it's culturally part of their uh, sort of their language. You know, uh, everybody expects to hear guitar music when you're out in the street. So anyway, so we're going down this cafe, this street towards the cafe, and I hear this amazing kind of Spanish dark minor thing. And my ears were like, at this point, like I was teaching enough to know that this is like a, like an E-fifth augmented and was going through the changes and it was a pedal tone. And I'm like, what the hell is that? So my wife went off and did her thing. I'm following the sound and I see this guy in a gutter. No, no, we're like in like the gutter of a street, okay, like where the sidewalk meets the road. And he's got this really dirty, dingy clothes. He's got a long ponytail, all, you know, all kind of like gray hair. He's got this beautiful classical Spanish guitar. And he's playing this thing called Leyenda Asturias. And um, when he says, I'll, I'll play it, and we can't really do it on the show, but um, I teach it. And I remember Aaron, remember we used to do this, so I brought it back. 
And I said to him, and I don't know much Spanish, but I, I said something like, um, I don't remember the translation now, but it was almost like um, uh, toca la musica or something like that. Um, and it's like, what are you playing? And he said, leyenda, leyenda, leyenda. And that's all, and that's all I really got. And I can hear it. I can understand the Spanish, but not speak it well. So I went back to the States and I pulled this piece and I was just like blown away by it. And I watched Segovia play it, you know, on multiple videos and things. And this is like, like a standard for, for Spanish guitar. Um, but with that, you know, in that particular piece, there is so much right hand control that it just, it will just throw you. Like it, once you get past the opening, when you get past that E augmented thing, was like a lot of pedal tone. It takes the motif and moves through a forward roll. It literally takes the thumb and the first two fingers, like in a Scruggs pattern. And mm-hmm. you, you should see it. If you get a chance, play the arpeggiation and you, Aaron remembers this. We were at the house. Remember I was living with you at the time and I'd play that piece every day to get that forward roll thing. And it would piss me off because I could not get the speed in the articulation. It took me literally Joe like years. I can do it now because i still practice it, but mm-hmm. it took me at least three years to get this thing where it's fast and articulate, you know, because in the very beginning it was like, Oh my God, like I can't move that quick. And those guys in Spain were like nothing. Right. It was nothing like everything with them is it was, it was all flashy and, right hand articulate and you know what I mean? And like, and I, I remember seeing it when he was playing it in the street. I'm like, that is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life and heard. And I'm like, I have to learn that. And I think it's beautiful about us as musicians that we can, we can do that. You know, I talked to students and I'm like, you know, yeah, I just learned this classical piece a couple of days ago. And they're like, how do you do that? Because I speak the language. Remember something Aaron said a couple of weeks back, right? You know, you speak the language. I mean, if you do that, you can translate you know, into, into so many instruments. That's important. I believe, you know, learning lots of instruments and learning lots of pieces and expanding your repertoire of musical literature. My God, I mean, there's, you just, you you can't go wrong by assimilating so many different feels and styles and rhythms and things. And, and yeah, you can suck at it. I suck at a lot of things like I hear and play, but I, I try to get the germs of those things. And, and, you know, it's really funny. Like even now, like I'll go and play a piece somewhere, do something like, Oh my God, there's, there's that Spanish Rosciato just came out. I didn't intend that, but there it is. I think what you're getting at kind of here is, is just being versatile and having a wide um, array of musical interests. And I think it's a good segue into what we were going to talk about, um, you know, discussing a musical lifestyle and how to actually make it as a musician. And I think versatility is, I mean, that's a huge, a huge um, thing that'll help you be successful as a musician. Um, I mean, if you're going to be out there making me or trying to make a living, you got to be able to take a lot of different types of gigs or work, or like you're saying, banjo students. I mean, you can't be a one trick pony and expect to no make a solid living unless you are just the cream of the crop and you happen to, you know, get lucky and get hooked up with some people with some money to back you. Right. I, I was in a jazz cafe um, probably in 1998, somewhere around there. And I was watching a blues guy. Mm-hmm. And he was, you know, just a really solid blues player, um, black gentleman, uh, probably like 6'3", from what I remember. And he was sitting there, and the crowd was like he had them enraptured. And and what he was doing was amazing. Like, he was playing his blues licks, but he was doing his thing and kind of soloing a little bit. And he was singing, too, kind of like the blues guys did. But he went to, like, this massive... 10 minute solo section and he, as he's playing these pentatonic licks he realized the crowd is like who now and they'd say do albert king okay and he played the licks as albert king what now do bb all right and he'd do the things as b and perfect like he would emulate the style of these guys albert collins all right go and he would and he would he would like it was almost like watching a chameleon work mm-hmm. within the same pentatonic stuff he but it was all about that versatile transformation of his style and I'm, and that's in like one idiom can you imagine if you had the ability to do that across multiple genres of music? My God, that would be incredible. But yeah, you're right. So that would give a lot of um, credence to just being a, a, a versatile musician on stage and like in the studio as well. Yeah, and I mean, I'm I'm thinking about how I I get a lot of work by I'll go and play a bar and play it at least in the Virginia Beach area. I'm playing. People want a lot of classic rock some kind of more modern country, you know, even some, you know, nineties alternative rock. And then I'll sneak in some cool jazz tunes and, th- you know, more bluesy kind of stuff. Um, but then I go play the next 
day I'll go play a retirement home and I'm playing thirties, forties, Broadway's Broadway tunes for the, for the folks there. And, you know, you can sneak in a few folk songs and I mean, they love fifties Elvis kind of blues songs. Um, and then you go play on the street at Atlantic Avenue and you've got, depending on what time of day it is, the crowd gets younger as it gets later. So I'll even put like Avicii's wake me up and I'll put like this kind of electronic groove behind it. Like you, you have to play to your audience. Oh yeah. All these different situations, you know, it might be the next day, it might be a coffee shop and you're playing, they want you to play acoustic and the more different styles you can play, uh, the, the more gigs you're going to get. So Aaron and I were talking about this. We feel we're going to gang up on you today. Is that okay? Because <laughs> <laughs> we don't do the gig anymore. Well, um, yeah, you're in the right? middle of it. Yeah, that's yeah. right. You're in the thick. So do you, do you really enjoy, I mean, you want me to, I'll ask the question, Joe, do you yeah. enjoy the lifestyle? Are you, oh, are you, yeah. what I mean, is it about it for you? So, I mean, I never really explained this. I don't think on the show, or I know I didn't. I was in, I studied structural engineering in school and I went and I was working for a big general contractor in DC, Washington, DC. And, um, I was working on these construction sites and I thought I wanted to build a skyscraper was kind of my goal. And music was always just an intense passion, but Mm -hmm. over the course of several years of doing this, I got into, I started a band and then I got recruited to play lead guitar in another band and like it started to get to where the music was starting to conflict with the job and I have a lot of I could talk forever about the problems in the construction industry but I I decided to leave that when I got the opportunity to go join Aaron at a Vox Rock in Chantilly and um another cool name by the way yeah Vox Rock is I was talking about Chantilly (laughs) um but yeah, so I, I I think I have the unique situation, the unique perspective, in that I was working a professional job, making way more money than I do now, um, and I left that to do what I feel passionate about, and then I I realized it was really stupid to try to be a musician with the lack of training that I had, and so I actually went back to school and studied jazz at George Mason. And so now, I mean, even while I was at Mason, I, you know, you'd see, I was in there with 18, 19, 20 year olds and I was 26. I hear you. I did that too. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I really, I mean, these kids, they a lot of them wanted to be kids Perfect. and like yeah. they were in college and they wanted to go socialize and do things. And I was like, this is the greatest thing in the entire world. This is, I can't imagine, like, I'm so lucky that I'm doing this right now. And I gave it everything I had and, you know, and now that I'm out performing, I just, I feel like I'm doing what I love to do every minute of every day, just about. I mean, I don't love sending invoices and some of the business yeah, right, behind right. keeping my business going, but I love playing. And, you know, sometimes I don't love playing every song, but I love being out there and there's all these different situations and you're always with people who are in general, happy. I mean, construction, people were often not happy. You know, you're working under timelines and people are stressed out and, you know, trying to make things work. And now I'm like always around people who are relaxing after work or, you know, on vacation. It's just a completely different, when you surround yourself with people who are enjoying music or, you know, out and about in places that would have music, it, it really rubs off on you. It's, it's really happy all the time. Yeah, it's really great talking to you guys about this because I know Aaron has his own transformation story that he, he may or may not want to share at some point, right? Oh, yeah. But, it's, you know, but for me, I've always been in this. See, that's what's really weird. You know, like I've, since I was like 16, I started teaching music and I was an educator. Even now I'm, I'm 42 and I always started doing it. But, you know, when my students talk to me about a lot of stuff like you guys are saying today, you know, I, there's a quote I love. Uh, Joseph Campbell, the mythologist, uh, said this famously. He said, follow your bliss. That's it. You know, that's the thing that makes you want to get out of bed in the morning. Mm-hmm. That, that gives you purpose, right? I mean, because at the end of the day, what else is there? Yeah. Got to be happy, man. It's so true. Got to be happy. 
Yeah. And just like you were saying, Joe, you know, yeah, the contracting job paid you a lot more money. Same situation for me. Um, but in the, at the, at the end of the day, music is what makes me happy and yeah. no amount of money can change that. It's, I mean, I can't say that, but, <laughs> um, it's, it's amazing. You know, I see all kinds of people around the world doing their thing and I'm, I kind of look at myself and after 10 years of being in the same spot, I'm like, yeah, I, you know what? I'm, I'm happy teaching. Yeah. You're going to have your moments. Um, but I'm happy teaching and, and being in this world of music on a daily basis. I mean, that's just, dude, I, I, I teach ACDC for a living. Yeah. Nobody, I mean, that's, not everybody does that. Yeah. We're, we're such, we're such a niche. Yeah. Yeah. And that's awesome. That's just, there are definitely moments when you sit there and you're like, wow, okay, life ain't so bad and this is pretty all right. You know, I'm on the right path. I know I'm on the right path. Uh, and whether somebody else looks at that as the right path or not, it doesn't matter. I know inside my soul that I'm, I'm where I'm supposed to be. And this is, this is all right. Yeah, totally dig it. Yeah, music is kind of, it's, it's almost like a, a good disease. You, you get it and it's like you keep progressing and as you progress you realize how much farther you need to progress and it just becomes this obsession with you know getting better and working harder and expanding your repertoire and your skill set and it's kind of it just never gets old no and well i think one of the reasons why you know i suggested the topic where we talked about doing this you know musical lifestyle thing is because for me i felt <clears throat> excuse me like when i was a student and this is really weird. So I come from a background where you had to make money to be defined as a success. All right. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So if, you know, you couldn't show that you were you're returning something on this investment of all the hours and the practicing, then it was a worthless pursuit. That, that's, that's how I grew up. So for me, it was really hard uh, to kind of justify all the time I put in. Because I knew that at the very end of the tunnel, there was something that was intrinsically, I was going to be a different person. That, that's what I always kind of wanted to go for. What was interesting, though, is when I came out at the very end, and, and not that there's an end, but let's say, you know, in the last 10 years or so, where I emerged as a musician and had all this knowledge and skill sets, whatever you want to talk about it. Strangely, success for me was not a matter of being on stage being a multi-million dollar recording artist. Like I didn't, for whatever reason in my DNA, it didn't go that path, right. you know, and it, and it should have, I think in the eyes of the public still, you know, it's almost like, well, you're not, you know, you're not a famous guitar player playing these gigs and national touring. So therefore, why did you do all that stuff? Right. But I, I don't know. Like for me, it's almost like I, it didn't need to go down that trajectory. Like I think, where I came out was pretty interesting too. Like, look at this, look yeah. what we're doing now. You know, like everything kind of converged and led to this thing that we're doing, you know? So in a lot of ways, I think to be a musician today, you know, one of the things I would like to, you guys to talk about too, is, you know, how you think we should define success for young people that are just emerging in as, as musicians, should they spend 10 hours a day practicing? If you know, the, the goal is not to be, a performer like me, I was, I was, don't define myself as a performer for one instance, nor will I ever will be, mm. you know, there's a couple things that come to mind when, when you guys are talking, um, first of all, time spent into musicianship. Um, that's what we, the first thing that came to my mind is, um, this isn't easy. And for all those who are listening, it's, um, this is not music and your instrument is something that you need to spend multiple hours a day crafting your skills. Um, it's, it takes a lot of time and a lot of dedication. And I can't say that there's an amount of time that you need to put in to be able to call yourself a musician or a professional musician. But there's something about when you sit down that time is no longer a matter. That's extremely important to kind of think about. Um, music and being a musician is in here. It's in your soul. Um, and 
it shouldn't be looked as a, as a chore. If it's something that comes naturally to you and it's something that you just kind of naturally do all the time, that fire will always be there with you. Um, depending on what your other passions are. Some people, um, they do have other passions. And for me, when I was younger, uh, I've always been brought up around music and with music. My mom pretty much made my environment music oriented. Uh, and because of that, all throughout my younger years and my teenage years, it was always, you know, albums and records and tapes and starting the recording process and instruments from starting off on snare drum and being in symphonic band on percussion and playing piano, jazz piano for seven years and then picking up the electric guitar and doing that. And it was always around me. Uh, my mom would always take me to concerts all the time when I was young. One of the very first concerts I ever was had been to was the Yellow Jackets. Um, it was just always around me. And then going into college for me and making that step, my mind was not on music at all in any way whatsoever. It was very obvious, but I didn't see it. To me, it was like, okay, I'm going to go to college for psychology. Um, that was what's where I thought I enjoyed. I enjoyed the idea of studying people and their behaviors and whatnot like that. So that's where my mind, because, cause that was the professional route. Is that what you did? Did you do that? You, uh, went? that's what I started to go okay. to college for. Okay. Um, and then I got mono and then I had to drop out. Um, but that, that was my, that was my, that was my path. That was where I was going. Um, and then it wasn't until, I was out of college and I needed to do something with my life after mono. Um, I needed to be able to do something. So I got a part-time job until the next semester started. Well, when I got that next, when I got that job, that turned into a full-time job. And then right. I was just like, well, okay, I'm just I'm making tons of money. I'm just, just going to keep my job. But it wasn't until that point where I was like, okay, what am I doing? I had this epiphany where I was just like, okay, I've been doing music my entire life. Why, why am I not doing that? Why am I not doing that as my career? Um, so that's like that you have to kind of think about who you are as a person and what role music plays into that. How much is music a part of you? And you, you have to definitely, there are people who have to make those hard decisions, especially as they get older and get towards college. And some people, it's very evident. They know. But there's a lot of other people who go into um, those college years thinking that they're supposed to go down a path because whoever, family, friends have told them so. And you have to go through this process. Um, and I remember being 16, 17 years old and being like, wow, there's a whole world out there and I don't even know what it is. Like I've right. never been, I've never been anywhere. I've been in right. my own hometown and I'm only, I only know what I only know. It's a and, bubble. Right. It's very yeah. much. a bubble. Um, and that's, that's really hard to get out of. Um, so, I mean, I wish I would have been, I wish I could go back in a time machine and tell my younger self. Hey, stick with music because that's what you know. That's what you're comfortable with. Uh, and don't listen to what you're supposed to do. Um, not that even that's what you're supposed to do. But you have to think about you as a musician and that, that hard decision of what do I want to do with life? And kind of tying into what we're talking about today, if I decide to be a musician and do this professionally for the rest of my life, it's not easy. And it does not pay well at all. Not initially. No. And you have not to be initially. okay with that. You have to be okay with that. There are fields out there um, that if you go to school that I would suggest, because even Joe, in your story, you had, you had said that, you know, there were younger kids who were there to socialize and kind of, and I get it. I did the same thing. You know, it's, it's kind of a, a time to explore yourself as a person. And that's extremely important. But I think that kids need to, I mean, I'm older, I'm really, so I can look at this from a different viewpoint and I'm, I'm mad at my younger self for squandering away all my educational years. 
it's so important that while you have that education available to you, that you use it to the utmost. I mean, it's so important that you take advantage of the fact that you have all these professors and peers around you who are doing the same thing and networking. And that's so important to take advantage of that while you are in school and focus on it. Because once school's done, there's a lot of people who just get lost. <laughs> Well, I think partially that too is is the way that the culture looks at artists in general. Well, yeah, you know, there's that too. That there's that. I mean, look at them. I mean, even in my profession, you know, when I teach, you know, in education, you know, it's like there is a natural push. I think in American education to produce scientists and engineers and 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 that kind of thing in the in the sciences. And while these are, I mean, these are amazing things, right? Mm. I, I think to myself, that's great. We're going down these pathways, but what is it that we're we're alive for, right? We're alive for things that, that want us to feel like we're actually here for a reason, right? So art and music and poetry and literature and all these different things that we, we, we love to do. There has to be equal value in that. And they can say there is, there's not, no, there's not, you know, education shows today that the, the monies that filter through the streams go right into you know, the pathways of, of sciences and so forth. And again, great. But, you know, there has to be a, a, a switch we need to make culturally that if somebody says, I want to be an artist. Great. Encourage it. You know, a lot of great stuff can come from creativity and innovation. But again, you have to, you know, initially, nah, not a lot of money to be made initially. But once you kind of build yourself, you know, and, and produce things that people value, then, oh, yeah, you know, then, then, then it's there. Yeah. You know, and I think maybe, maybe, Part of it too is is removing the 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 stress of making money from arts. You know, maybe that could be it too. You know, if we we take that away, maybe more people would go into it. For me, I didn't realize there were so many avenues to make money uh, with music when I was younger. I mean, I had no idea. I was the, to me, it was like okay, uh, you could be a rock star, and hmm, what else? I could be. Uh, <laughs> I could go in tour yeah but we were like 14 though that was that was it that was the dream right well, that's but i didn't know anything else like i had no idea that there was so many other avenues of making money through music that had that was just not even again that bubble i had no idea i had no idea that there were many other ways of being able to say okay i can be a musician on the daily and get paid for it a pretty good amount of money and I don't have, I actually don't have to do the same thing all week. I can do multiple, you know, multiple ways of income, um, teaching being one of them, or maybe you're writing for film or maybe you're right. writing for commercials or, or maybe you're video yeah. games or yeah. I mean, you can do so, so many things. You guys know Stanley Jordan? No. Stanley Jordan? No. The, 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 the two handed tap guy. Yeah, remember him? We used to I, talk about I, him. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, I know that. Oh, yeah, know. he was really popular in the 80s. Um, he basically established the the polyphonic tap, the two-handed oh. tap. You know, guys like Satriani made famous eventually, that kind of thing. Well, he, you know, watch him. The guy's amazing. He'll, like, he'll do chord changes and different things independently in both hands. Takes all these jazz standards and popular tunes. Anyway, he had this illustrious career in the 80s and was on The Tonight Show, all this kind of stuff, right? He got sick of the music industry and left. You know what he's doing now? He's a music therapist. Hmm. Uh, yeah, he he said I'm going to use music as another pathway. For me, it's it's it doesn't have to be. I'm going to just put myself out there as as an entertainer, artist, composer, and get that feedback of acceptance that you are important. He's like the hell with that. You know, I'm going to give music to people in a different manner. So now he's doing a music therapy, and he advocates for you know the American Education Music Therapist and these websites. That that to me is really encouraging. Yeah. It's, I do, um, I perform at these retirement homes and because of that, I've crossed paths with a local nonprofit organization called Tidewater Arts Outreach here in, they're based out of Norfolk. Um, and they really, they do a lot of programs for seniors and for especially people with, um, seniors with, um, memory loss. So Alzheimer's and, um, dementia. And it's really interesting. I, I attended a, a seminar talking about how it affects, you know, how their brains are affected and how music affects them. But, you know, you could have someone who's, who's very irritable, upset, they're confused and, you know, talking to them 
isn't helping their their personal nurse or whatever you call it is having a hard time and then they put on a song that brings them back to their childhood or their younger years and it it really does work it it helps people relax and they get out of that whatever funk they're in mentally Mm. um it's really interesting so it's really powerful stuff and yeah music therapy is actually a way to make money while also doing something really positive yeah i think i think they fall into the the auspices of um the therapy the 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 mental health profession now um so i'm not sure what the what sort of the salaries are for music therapists but i think they're pretty comparable to like uh uh occupational therapy and and different things like that but again i don't know i'd have to have to look at them what i found to be interesting when i was looking into the music therapy angle i read an article that they recently um there they have found right in research studies there is an area of the brain that is relegated only for musical understanding if that is true. And I, I, I'm pretty sure I can't remember the article, but um, something to the nature of when we hear musical tone, that region lights up kind of akin to the same way that when we understand languages, that Broca's region of the brain that lights up. So that would, you know, I think that's fascinating that if that is true, that we are hardwired for musical processing, you know, which means that we can access memory, we can access you know, our physiology responds to musical sound in some way. That's really cool. Yeah. That's really cool. Again, getting us, I, for me, getting me back to the idea that it doesn't have to be entertainment only mm-hmm. to live a musical lifestyle. You know, we could be uh, these advocates for, you know, living in musical context beyond the entertainment industry and being widely successful at doing it. Because yeah. Aaron's right. I mean, there was a time when if you didn't want to be a rock star, you had to go into teaching, and that was it. Those are your only two pathways. Those who can't, <laughs> those who can't play teach, right? Isn't that what it is? So, yeah, yeah, th- yeah. Those who can't do teach. Yeah. Um, oh. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I terrible. I don't know why. I just can never. I couldn't do it. Like with Joe, when Joe talks about all the gigs he does and everything, like I, there was a point where I did that. Aaron, you did that too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. For years, I, years, I will years. never. If if you paid me, I would never go back to that life. No, no offense, Joe. <laughs> but I could, I could just couldn't do it. I, I don't know. It's not. It's not me. I'm not wired that way. Not anymore. I'm not. No, things have changed. No. That's and that's that's that that in itself. I will tell everybody out there is extremely important. While you're young, oh yeah, do wait, it. Wait till the family and kids come. Oh. <laughs> but it, it is it is extremely important that you you take advantage of the fact that you have you know all hours of the day to be able to do what you love and be pretty much uninterrupted that's 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 so important because yeah. yes once you get older um things change for the better. And, oh you know, yeah. I, I yeah. Mean, I absolutely. love, I, I love my family. I love absolutely. It. But at the same absolutely. time, there is that, that, that part of you that's like, okay. And then it'll never go away. I mean, I build a room for myself. Um, you, you, you have to make sure that even after all these years, it's still very much a part of who I am. And, um, and that kind of goes into another kind of subject that I'd like to talk about in terms of the music and the career is that the other part of it, you do at some point have to, even when you're young, you do have to think about a significant other and how that plays into that role. Uh, sometimes that's toxic. Um, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's, it's beneficial. Um, and that, I mean, look at <laughs> Meredith seen in Spinal Tap, yeah, with <laughs> with Nigel's girl, or it was the the dude, the lead singer's girlfriend showed up at the gig practice, and Nigel's like, "What is she doing here?" <laughs> right, right, right. It's like the Yoko and and John thing, yeah. uh, the Beatles. Um, there, there is that aspect, and there are a lot of people who go through that as a band all bands out there who would be listening do not ever bring your girlfriend to band practice ever ever <laughs> ever yeah but i think there's some instances where that has worked no so, absolutely you know, yeah. i get it i get it but most often most 
that's anecdotal. Yeah. <laughs> Most often it's just a bad situation because you're around that person all the time. Now there are those few personalities that that's okay, but for the most part, stay away from that situation um, and try to keep that as separate as much as possible. Um, girlfriends and bands and boyfriends and bands that just, it's not so much in how much you treat it. It's how the other members, your brothers or your sisters or whoever they are mm -hmm. in the band view that. Yeah, yeah. 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 You have to respect that. That's, that's very much a yeah. part of it. And then taking that beyond that, then into marriage and kids and the lifestyle of a musician and being able to, hold that down while also having a family that's there's a huge juggle going on there and that's tough at times especially with someone like joe's position where you are gigging a lot uh and it's you know sometimes it's odd hours of the evening or whatnot like that and then you got to wake up the next day and put in a full day of gigging again and mm -hmm. sometimes the the significant others depending on their personality they may not understand that to the fullest extent that you do. Um, they may look at it as you're just having a whole lot of fun. And, no, no. And I have to work my butt no, off no. all day. That's <laughs> like, okay. So there is that, that I want all listeners to be aware of. That's, that's my point. That's my wife um, used to come to all my gigs before we were married. She would like come to all the shows and get into it and dance. And because she knew that was who I was. You know, but it's funny now, like after all these years, we have the kids and we got this kind of life that we work and stuff. Um, she'll say, why don't you just go back on the road? I'm like, oh. do, you, do you understand what that means? Yeah, I'll make money, but I'll, you'll never see me. I'll be gone. Yeah. Living in hotels and not, and on, in a, on the car, in the car constantly and traveling. It's, it's a different thing. I think they're, you know, I, I really envy and respect people that can maintain that lifestyle you know, into their later years, mm. you know, but I think by that point too, like if you're in like your fifties and sixties and you're doing it, you better have a damn rock solid crew to help you Yeah, because I couldn't imagine just doing it solo. I know a lot of guys that love that, you know, their, their kids are grown, they're off to college or something. They're playing coffee shops with their touring and they're, they're doing like small venues and that kind of thing. They get in their car and they drive 50 miles and they're playing every weekend. Great. But you know, wow, what, what a discipline. Some of them I know are divorced. They just, they just, well, can't. That's, just that's the other thing yeah, I was thinking about. Wives but, leave them. It's like, yeah, yeah. Can't, can't keep do. up with that. Yeah. You know, the divorce rate amongst musicians, musicians is, yeah. is like <laughs> way high <laughs> because what we, we have this vision and that's the vision. And that's where I'm, you know, well, yeah. eventually it just it turns into a, it just turns into a, uh, a business. Like I'm going to work, honey. I'm headed out the door for a weekend. I'll be back on Monday. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, it never stops. You play a, you play a show in the evening and then you wake up and you're you have a rehearsal or you're preparing for the show that next evening or you've got lessons and some kid wants to learn something you got to learn that or you need to send your emails or you need to send your invoices or you need you know there's so much so much and it never stops and the hours are at night and during the day at all times it really never stops i don't the the meaning of the weekend to me is completely different than what it used to be right they're really, it's a seven day a week thing and you have to love it. And you, I don't know, sometimes you got to like force yourself to take a, take a break and a significant other can be great for that. Yeah. And I think the trick too, is to make sure that when you, this passion that you have, when it becomes a job, which it will at some point, right. You don't lose why you got into it in the first place. Mm -hmm. right? Cause I think that happens to a lot of musicians that I've talked to over the years. They're like, they're tired. Yeah. Well, it's burnt, they're burnt, they're burnt out. Yeah, it's a tiring thing. It really is. I can I can totally get why people would want to walk away. Yeah. You I know a guy. Go ahead, I'm sorry. I was gonna say I think you have to keep you have to keep learning new things. I, I see people who have pretty their set list has kind of been the same for a while. Like, you know, you go see certain people and you're like, Yeah, they're playing the same the same songs and I I can't do that. I I I mean I get bored of songs so that's why i improvise so much while i'm playing live and i'm constantly adding new songs and i've been playing with these different different jazz vocalists and i sat in with a band a couple weeks ago and i like doing new stuff just keeps it interesting and not only songs but like i'm constantly like i, I love this magazine this guitar techniques magazine out of uh, the united kingdom 
like I'll go in there if I if I don't know what to do, you can open up something like that and just like find an article, learn something new, and it it can change my entire day if I start out with that. It can set me on a a practice path. But yeah, I just I think you have to stay to keep learning new things or keep writing whatever you know is your thing. You have to keep moving forward. Yes. I agree 100%. That is what Joe just said is the key to making sure that you never burn out. If you always are educating yourself and making sure that you're learning new, fresh things, uh, I think that fire will always stay, you know, bright and keep on going. I know that there's, I don't know how they do it, but I know back at Penn State, there are bands that are still doing the same thing when I left, and that was 10, 15 years ago, that they're still playing covers of the same tunes because that's their that's their job. They're a party band and they go down and play, you know, tailgate weekends and blah, 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 blah. And they're still doing the same thing. I There's there's no way I would be able to do something like oh, that. Oh, I couldn't do that. That's I just crazy. And I don't know how, I mean, I could very much easily see them being burned out at some point maybe they'll do it for the rest of their life because they have nothing else to do i mean that's like kind of like what we said before the rolling stones if the rolling stones were to stop tomorrow i don't know that they would know how to do anything else that's very much like these guys on a local level uh it's just what they've done all their lives um but for you know for me and what joe just said keeping it fresh and education and and kind of on the always on the lookout for this new thing um or just something strange you know maybe it's like oh i'm gonna go and learn spanish guitar or whatever it is just something different just to say okay i need to i need to spice it up a little bit so i knew a guy who was really successful back in pennsylvania northeast when i was i was probably 16 and i was just kind of getting into this right i was playing a lot but wanted to play and this guy was probably in his late 30s highly successful local band. I can't mention a name, right? He said to me once, he's like, look, I am so tired. When I come off stage and I drive home, I shut the radio off because I can't hear music anymore. And I remember at 16 going, then why the hell are you doing it? If you, if you get to that level. And then his friend, who I became really good friends with, right? When I was 16, tried to tell me, he said, Tony, because he was an electrical engineer. He said, let me teach you about circuitry. And I said, Bill, I don't, I don't want to learn that stuff. I want to learn music theory. Yeah. This guy could have taught me about like impedance and resistance and oh, and he tried to. And I guess I picked up this language from, right? But he could have taught me all that stuff. In my 40s, I'm like, I could have been into electrical engineering. How cool would that have been to blend that with my musical knowledge? You know, oh so gosh, you, you, you got to keep moving. You got to open your mind to stuff everywhere in your environment. Yeah, because mus- musicians, I mean, I'll tell you, we're, we're a really strange lot. I, I know when I talk to non-musicians, I'm sure you guys know the feeling, right? Not to put anybody down, but like if someone's non-musical, you know right away because we have, our brains work differently for whatever weird reason, you know, the way we think and the way we kind of process information musically and auditorily and, you know, and so it's, it's really weird. I think there's a lot of us out there that draw from multiple experiences that we they can they can share a lot of information but yeah you know i i, w- I would hate to have the burnout thing I, w- yeah. I would hate to do that joe i'm gonna ask you a personal question about me asking yeah do you see yourself doing the same gig schedule in 25 years from now no but i think that doing this now i mean it's like what you guys you guys both did gig and now you don't i think that i need to do this in order to establish myself and also i mean i'm getting better i mean i look at my you know, recordings of myself a year ago, I'm just better and you get better and better at performing and talking to the crowd and the whole thing. And so I think that this is important for me in order to, I don't know, it have some self worth in the future. And if I'm teaching, I can have my war stories about, you know, gigs. when I was on that show <laughs> gigs in five, you know, a gig a night or maybe two in a day for, I think going back to your, to the cover band thing though, I, and talking about a musical lifestyle, in order to be successful, I I know some some people, some local guys who do have a little bit of like they kind of snub their nose at that playing the, playing the popular cover songs. I really, I mean, I think we've talked about this before. I think mm-hmm. we were talking about Sweet Home Alabama specifically. I think you have to. There's a fine line where you 
in order, this is a business and you do have to play to your crowd. And if you, and teach your students the things that make them happy and also that make their parents happy. So they keep hiring you. But I think you really have to, to be smart about playing music that is fun and mixing in the music that you want to play in order to keep getting the gigs. Like you, you need to be able to, this goes back to the versatility thing, but you just can't be too artistic when you, when you're trying to run a business. Like you, you need why, to be artistic. Why, why do you say that? I think that this comes, this goes back to my engineering background, but I run it. I learned a lot in the construction industry and I run my whole musical business off of a Microsoft Excel spreadsheet where I like, I keep all my notes. I write down things about each gig in there and I have a spreadsheet. And when I'm, when I go to follow up on places, I have a column for like, who do I need to follow up with? And when should I follow up with them so that I don't annoy them too much? And what are the people's name, you know, what's the manager's name and, Oh, their kid does this. I have like all this stuff written down so that when I call, I, I come across as personable and professional as possible. Right. right. I mean, I have that. I have my invoices are organized very specifically because sometimes as much as the, as nice as the people are, sometimes things just get misplaced and I've not been paid several times. And if I didn't keep up with that thing, that would be hundreds of dollars lost. Yeah. You know, and often it's just like, Hey, I never received a check for invoice 24. And they're like, oh, sorry, something happened. And they didn't receive it. And I get the check the next week. Yeah, and that's my, my teaching business. It's been the same thing. You know, I have to stay. That's one thing I've always disliked to some degree about running my own businesses, like trying to stay on top of the books. No, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Right. Not very good at that. I am. Yeah. And then there's taxes and quarterlies and all yeah. that kind of wonderful yeah. stuff. That, I mean, that's as a younger musician, that's a part of it that I never really understood um, and didn't even know that that was a part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to go through. I think it's extremely important that as a young musician who has that uh, vision of becoming some kind of professional musician in the future, that that you understand the business aspect of it and keeping books and making sure that you're paid and um, that's yeah, absolutely right. Oh yeah. Tax write-offs and all of that. That's extremely, extremely important. That's how you're going to make your money. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's it's it. worth it to go see a, a tax specialist once when you've got like a full year of music, it helped so much last year. I mean, even like the, your equipment value and the, in the taxes, there's a way that, you know, every year it's worth less and less. I forget what it's called, but. Uh, yeah, just like your car depreciation depreciation yeah, yeah. like yeah. there's a lot of stuff that it's it's worth it to go to a tax specialist once i did that uh when aaron and i had had our studio and mm-hmm. actually before we we teamed up together i think it was one point aaron and i had like what like 80 some students yep that i was working with a week and i was i was teaching you remember this like 13 hour days yep okay 83 students <laughs> yeah 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 and i remember when i when that business opened up I went to an accountant and hired him and said, all right, Al, here's what I have. And he went through everything and it was, they were a godsend because he told me what to write off, what not to write off, what to itemize, what not to, you know, how to pay quarterlies, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it was stressful. But I, I mean, it, that, I, that was very enjoyable too. You know, there's nothing like being your own boss, guys. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. I don't care what anybody says, you know. Yeah. If you want to take a vacation for a week. You can call the shots. Yeah, stay at home. Just have today. to do the re- rescheduling and the organizing, but yeah, it's all your own decision. Yeah, and and you have to be you have to be very responsible about just that and doing the rescheduling and and whatnot like that. You can't just take off a week because then that entire week that you are on vacation, you're worried about the fact that you're not losing money. Making money. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's yeah. that's that's all part of it. It's very very very. Important. It's funny. I'm not sure how you guys feel about this. I think the teaching teaching business and music education is changing too. Like, I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong, that I can get to where I used to be. Like, I can't imagine I can get up to like 80 some students a week privately anymore because for a lot of reasons, at least here in Maryland where I live, much of guitar education is happening in the schools now. Mm. Like it's happening very early in the school systems. And the ones that are filtering out are going to big companies. 
you know, like Guitar Center and that kind of thing. So it's really hard, I think, today to kind of, you know, to reestablish that. Believe me, I've tried. You know, when I moved here, I tried to reopen another studio, like the fourth studio I've had. And, you know, it's really been a struggle, you know, with that. And maybe because I'm older now and have the patience to just grind it, because yeah. it does take a lot of that in the beginning, too. Well, when we were younger, there was no guitar center and all. it was all private. Yeah. And you had to go to those kind of institutions to get guitar lessons. Um, so it was a much different landscape back then. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, now, yes, you are dealing with, you know, School of Rock, Bach to Rock, all these types of things that actually um, offer that. And even you say, you know, there is guitar. I Where I live, yes, there is a, a guitar class where the kids perform on guitar and they learn. Um that's not everywhere so there's i'm sure there's a lot of people in the world that don't have access to something like that um and even okay even the people that do go through those classes um they're in my class because there's a lot of stuff that the teacher can't teach you so if you are interested in one of those classes um, and you want to take guitar a little bit deeper, well, then, yes, you're going to have to uh, seek out a private instructor because that person is not going to be able to teach you, you know, all the intricacies because they're teaching 25 kids. Right. Uh, so right. that's that's extremely hard. Um, so, I'll tell you, I'm having more success with the online instruction Yeah. right now. Like, that's really budding now for me. I'm really excited about you know, picking up students doing, you know, online teaching and recording. It's It's quite interesting. It's harder for beginners, but I think for students that have a bit of knowledgeable background, it's, you know, pretty, pretty good, you know, yeah. plus they have to leave home. Right. Yeah, that's really nice. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I found um, getting, building up a student base has been a lot of times I've gotten students from being out playing and talking to people, mm -hmm. you know, it kind of goes hand in hand. I got my first, I don't know, five, six students by I used to play these farmers markets around here for free. I did that too. Michael yeah. and got a big science fair poster board and put free trial music lesson on there. I got I like stencil letters. I, I had like a big tripod, big table. Yeah. I'm set up. Just, yeah. yeah. I was playing and then people would come up and they're like, what do you mean free trial music lesson? I'm like, mm -hmm. sit down. I'll play. I'll teach your kid right now or we can set up a time for a free lesson and you got to hook them in and get and then it, it becomes word of mouth from there. Well, that's and that's what I was just kind of going to say is, is that uh, for all potential people out there are looking to do this, word of mouth is where it's at because advertising yeah. doesn't do jack. Nope. You go on mm -hmm. Craigslist and there's like all these advertisements for music lessons. I never got one lesson off the anything on the Internet. It's well, would, well, think about it. Would you out. if you saw that, would you would you sign up for a class? I wouldn't. Probably mm. not. No. No, I mean, you don't, you don't have that immediacy of like who the person is. I think that's the other thing that the credibility and the face, you know, and being personable. Yeah. Oh yeah. Meeting people and being like, not a crazy person. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. Talk to them. They feel they got to leave their kids with you. So well, we got to remember some too. Good. Yeah. It's not about like what the information is. It's how the information is being presented. That's Absolutely. how you, it's how you teach it. Yeah. You have to, you have to make yourself, uh, what, how you guys, how we do it in terms of, and Joe currently, how you do it is get yourself out there amongst the community, make yourself a part of that community out there, and then you'll be a trusted name and people will just kind of know who you are and the word of mouth will just start. That's extremely important to make sure that you are not above this idea of being free. That is extremely important. I know there's a lot of people out there, musicians-wise, who say, no, I'm better than that. And then you're just shooting yourself in the foot. Just get yourself out there and give some free lessons and make yourself available because the people out there, you know, they want to know what they're dealing with. They want to know who you are as a person. If you, if you go to a Craigslist ad or anything like that, there's nothing there to pull you in or let you know who you are. Whereas if you're out there amongst the community and you can consistently do that, that changes the ball game completely. Well, I think like you guys even say too, go out and just talking to people. You know, I mean, it's one thing to go out and play and perform and show people you can do. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's, there's no, there's really no parallel for that. Especially if you can dazzle, 
you know, the crowd. But I think a lot of, you know, parents, especially for their children are looking at like who you are as a person, like you guys are saying. So if you go out and talk to them and say, here's what this is all about, you know, put them at ease. And the more you do that, I think you get a lot of people coming in, you know, it's, uh, that's been my experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then for, for, oh, go ahead, Joe. Go ahead. I was going to go back to the versatility thing regarding teaching. I, you know, I'm, I'm a guitarist first and foremost. Well, I'm a musician first and foremost, but my instrument of choice is the guitar. And I tell all my, the parents, my students that, or my students, but I mean, I grew up playing the piano and the viola and I had a stint. I've got a saxophone over there. I, I, I've got a sitar. I've got, you want a sitar? Yeah. Let's see it. Can you can you do the yeah. camera? We got to do this. We got to do this. Where is the it? thing? Ah, oh, there it is. <laughs> I brought I brought that back from uh, Udaipur in the the state of Rajasthan, India. Wow. Western India. It was cool. It that's pain pretty cool. I was lugging that. It's huge when it's in case. See dedication, folks. <laughs> I slept with that on my train bed for 17 hours because I couldn't. He fit slept it with anything. it on his train bed. Right. People, right? Like, because come on now. Western. We were almost <laughs> getting... Pakistan and had to get all the way back to Delhi on a 17-hour train ride. We have and to do this on another episode. Like, figure yeah. show us how it tunes and everything. That'd be oh, really cool. Super cool. But yeah. back to my point, I have. I probably teach about 40% guitar, 40% piano. I have several ukulele students. I have a couple drum students, a hand percussion student. I was doing electronic music production with the student. And like, I mean, that's a different type of versatility from what I was saying, being able to perform in different locations. But I mean, if I didn't play the piano, it would, I'd make a lot less money. Being versatile able to play multiple different instruments, at least on a beginner intermediate level is extremely valuable. Oh yeah. 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 Worth the investment of time. I know you were talking about your banjo students. I mean, maybe do a little research into, you know, depending on where you are, I'm sure if you lived in Hawaii, ukulele would get a larger return. If you're living in certain areas, certain instruments are, you know, Western North Carolina, the banjo and the mandolin are going to get you more students. But it's well worth it. I well, practice, you know, every day, mostly for teaching purposes. Right, right. Let me, so th- this reminds me quickly uh, to maybe wrap up this here. I uh, I had a student many years ago that was actually from Ecuador. I think it was Ecuador, mm-hmm. and he comes into me. He says, "I don't want to learn guitar. Um, I want to learn music theory." I said, "Okay, that's fine." So, what do you play? He goes nothing. I said, all right. So I said, what's the plan? He says, well, I really want to understand how music works. I said, well, do you have any interest in any instrument? He goes, yeah, something called the quattro. And I'm like, I'm like, what is that thing? And he said, it's a, basically it's a instrument indigenous to his region. And it's like a four string instrument, uh, but it's like double string. So it's like, like an eight string thing. And it has the violin tuning. And okay. so I said, where do you find them? And he said, well, I'll order one. And he said, so he did. And he brought it and it was made and he brought it back into lessons. And it was, it's really cool. Actually had anyone to play some of it. But my point was the next year, he stayed with me for like a year, a year and a half, give or take. And he learned a lot about music and everything he was learning. He was applying to the quattro. And in that transmission of all that information, I learned how to play the instrument. Mm-hmm. So therefore I used to teach it. Now, there's not a wide quattro market out there. So I couldn't advertise. I can teach that thing, but it's another thing I know how to do. Mm-hmm. And through, through teaching it literally through the vehicle of the compositional, the, the harmonic understanding of music and how the language works uh, is fascinating. So I, I think anyone who wants to get into the teaching aspect, you got it. Like you want to say with the versatility thing, you really have to know uh, how to accept things that you don't want to, initially want to do. So if something comes your way and you're like, well, I don't want to do that because that's not really what I studied. That's too bad. Yeah. You should learn it. Mm-hmm. You never know, never know what's going to take you. Yeah. Never. And at the same time, you, you can't, um, you said, I don't want to do it for younger people out there. You have to take all avenues that are available and you have to kind of think outside the box. I think of specifically kind of what you guys were talking about a while ago and whole, um, sweet home Alabama thing. I remember, one of my students, Tony, you remember him, and we'll have him on the show at a later time, uh, Taylor, mm-hmm. Taylor Nordberg. You know, he had that spark at the very beginning in terms of getting himself out there. I mean, he would do Boy Scout things. 
um, any opportunity that he got, it didn't matter if he wanted to do it or not. It was an opportunity for him to get out there and kind of push his name and get himself more known and more opportunities. And, and look where he is today. Oh my gosh. National tours, international yeah, tours. Absolutely. Um, so you, you as a musician kind of have to take all of these things and kind of say, okay, it's, there's a bigger picture here. And whether it's versatility or doing gigs that you may not think that you want to do it, there's a much bigger picture here. And, and that's, you know, that's the important thing is to, you know, think of long-term goals and where I want to be in three years, five years and start making those steps. They may not in the short term in the next week or so may not be something that you want to do or enjoy doing as much, but on the long-term scale, it's going to get you that much closer to where you want to be. Yeah. For me, education, the, the, the purpose is not as a means to an end. It's really to kind of keep growing. Mm. And if you, if you stop doing that, then what's the point? We're actually having this conversation. Wait till the family and kids come. Oh. <laughs> Wait till the family and kids come. All bands out there who would be listening, do not ever bring your girlfriend to band practice. Ever. Ever. <laughs> See, dedication, folks. <laughs> I slept with that on my train bed for 17 hours because I couldn't. He fit slept it with anything. it on his train bed, right. people. Right. Like, because come on now. 